Welcome to Feeding the Flock Season 9 and our expositions through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're currently at chapter 12 and verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading verse 1 of chapter 12 of the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. This first paragraph of this chapter is actually a part, of course, to uh, a part of this larger uh, section that actually began in, in chapter 10. And uh, the first 18 verses of chapter 10, in fact, the entire chapter, uh, is talking about Paul and his character when it comes to Paul the Apostle giving an answer and vindicating himself and his own authority in the church that he himself was responsible of planting. Because why? Because many of these opponents of Paul had come in and tried to scoop up the the prestige or or the uh, the glory you might say uh, among at least some in the congregation at Corinth and evidently it had the potential of sweeping through the entire church and so Paul is trying to hedge against this by giving his own defense as an apostle and uh, he does so in chapter ten with uh, uh, exhibiting his character and then. In uh, two parts of chapter 11, the first half talks about his conduct uh, in chapter 11. The second half of that chapter talks about his conflicts. And that's the part we just have finished in the last episodes. But right now in chapter 12, he begins to lay out his credentials. And he does so in in a very cautious way, but he still kind of keeps moving through this same context and and with this same audience and with the same opposition that he knows is there and that they are having somewhat of an influence. And uh, he is trying to bolster not just bolster himself, but actually be able to bolster this relationship that he treasures with the believers in this 
particular church. And so his credentials include those things that would credential a, an apostle, and that is the revelations, and that's verses 1 through 10 of uh, chapter 12, and then his signs, and that's verses 11 through 18. Those are the things that qualify Paul, at least those are the things he wants to present to the congregation and remind them of these very things. And in some regards, he's doing more than just reminding them of something. He's actually revealing something to them that nobody else has even heard about before, but he's willing to do it in this particular context because the reason for doing so uh, outweighs the reasons for keeping it secret. And so he, he begins the chapter on the same theme, you might say, that he's kind of integrated into this whole argument about this idea of boasting, because evidently his opponents got a lot of mileage out of this uh, boasting that they would do about their credentials, about their experiences, about their successes, and everything else uh, that would in, uh, influence the believers to follow them and to to find in them their only source of spiritual um, leadership rather than going back to the Apostle Paul. And so this whole idea of boasting was, was way back in chapter 10 and verse 8. He says, for even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. So Paul, he's using the phrases of boasting, but he's not really boasting. He's not bragging about anything except he is bringing into the forefront the very facts of his ministry with the Corinthian believers. Those were facts. He wasn't exaggerating them. These were things they could validate themselves. And so he's basically uh, reminding them. And so, but he does so by, by using this tongue in cheek approach, so to speak. And, uh, he says, in fact, in, in chapter 10, uh, verses, uh, verse 15, he says, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. And so Paul is all about if his ministry is going to be enlarged, it's not going to be because he brags about it or because he, he brings some sort of pressure to bear uh, in some sort of a cultic kind of way uh, and isolate his followers from other things, but rather by just reminding them that this is who he was and this is who they are. Uh, that's not beyond his scope. That's not outside of his sphere, uh, you might say. That's within his own lane. He has, He's taken his own lane and that's all he's talking about. He's not comparing himself with somebody else, even though he uses the term boasting here. Uh, as it turns out, he's not, he's not bragging or comparing. He's just using their language and uh, their attitude and going about uh, outlying uh, his own ministry. And so 
So he knows all along, chapter 11, he, he even mentions several times how foolish this is to take on this kind of an argument. And he knows that even the Lord wouldn't do this, but he has been compelled to do it because of the situation at hand. And so, uh, so uh, as, uh, by the way, the, the, whole, the, uh, the old phrase, you know, the cliche that some people use the, uh, that uh, we should only be doing the things that Jesus would do. Well, I'm sorry, that, that's a nice sentimental idea to spirituality, and it works to some degree. And, uh, and a lot of people have, have been blessed because of it. But you need to still understand that there's lots of things of life that Jesus didn't directly touch on, even though he taught about it many things, uh, yet there are many things that, that he left untaught. And so that means we are left by the Spirit of God and by the principles of the Word of God and the words of Jesus to, uh, to take his words and apply them to things that he never encountered or that he never addressed. And so uh, such things like the internet or, or TV or cell phones, uh, he didn't address those things, but we take his principles and we take them and apply them to us. So there's, so don't take offense by the fact that Paul is doing something and he, he's very, uh, very well aware that these are some things that Jesus never taught on. And yet now he has to do this because of this particular situation. And he knows that it's foolish. And in fact, here he doesn't use the word foolish necessarily, but he says, boasting is necessary. In other words, this has come to this point. I have to remind you. I have to tell you the things that you already know. And in so doing, I will also tell you some of the stuff you may not even know yet, but I want to fill you in in order to give you the full picture that they, the opposition, will not give you. So he says, boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. So and Paul doesn't, isn't going to get a lot out of this. He's not uh, appealing to all this uh, stuff as, as if it's going to help him get along politically or, or powerfully or influentially with, with these people. Uh, that is already established in many regards. He's just taking it and saying, this isn't going to be a lot of profit. This isn't going to benefit a whole lot, except uh, you just need to know this. That's all. And so he says, but I will go on to visions and revelations. So this isn't necessarily the wisest thing to do with if everything else being equal. But in this particular case, everything else isn't equal because somebody has been giving uh, the the attention to these people that are false leaders, false apostles, and uh, false teachers, and they're they have been giving them the, all this attention, and Paul is saying, it's now come for you to face certain realities about who I am and who I am with you and who you are because of me and not because of them. And so that's what he's doing here. Um, I will go on to visions and revelations. That is sort of uh, where he goes with this first uh 10 verses, even though we won't go all the way to verse 10 today. But he says, he says, I'll go on to that. Uh, 
And he says, I know a man in Christ. What's interesting is there were many visions given to Paul throughout his ministry, even though they might not have been paying that close attention. But uh, but there were there, they were there, and at least Luke recorded uh, many of them. In fact, Luke in the book of Acts record six visions specifically aimed at Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul, uh, after his conversion. And the first one was when he was still Saul of Tarsus, and that's the vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. That was his first one. He also saw a vision of the Macedonian, remember, inviting him over to uh, the Greek peninsula in order to do ministry there. And that was a vision of this man giving him an invitation, come over here. And then there's a vision of the Lord at Corinth, by the way, assuring Paul that he should stay at Corinth. So Paul had a vision there in that city with this congregation. And that vision included the message, stay here. And he did so. He stayed there another year and a half in Corinth ministering to these very people that now question whether or not he's an apostle. But he had a vision by the Lord to stay there at Corinth. That's in Acts chapter 18, by the way. And then there's a vision of the Lord when Paul later went to Jerusalem to tell Paul to leave Jerusalem. And the brethren, by the way, uh, at Jerusalem also got involved and they transported him off to uh, Caesarea. Uh, And uh, then the Lord uh, appeared to him in Caesarea, promising Paul that he would eventually hit Rome. And then the angel was a vision to Paul on the ship. Remember the ship? And it ended up in Malta. But the angel guaranteed that he would remain safe and they would reach safe harbor, regardless of the shipwreck. And so there were six visions of Paul. And now we're going to find the seventh one. We'll be back right after this musical interlude. Welcome back, and we are going to be talking here about the visions and revelations of the Lord. We we know of at least uh, two distinguished revelations that Paul uh, seems to credit to himself that that even though the Lord revealed other things to other people, there was was a certain significance to what Paul received himself, and that one of those things happened to be the gospel. But the gospel wasn't distinct from what uh, the other the other apostles received. But uh, Paul spends a great deal of time. First Corinthians chapter fifteen is one of those places, but Galatians chapter uh, one and two, there uh, Paul spends a lot of time discussing the fact that the the Lord revealed the gospel to him 
him. And then when he went to the apostles, the fact was the gospel was the same. It was the same message. So Paul says, the evidence is, I uh, received the revelation from the Lord directly. I didn't depend upon these other apostles to kind of interpret it all for me. I received it directly. And so th- that actually, rather than, uh, than weaken Paul's case, it actually heightened his case for having this revelation of the gospel and how it coincided with the the other apostles back in Jerusalem when he finally met up with them. And then another uh, occasion where Paul identifies a specific kind of revelation that he himself uh, received from the Lord, and that was the stewardship of the mystery of the church. And there was something about the the uh, the revealed character of this body of believers that would gather together on a at least a weekly basis this gathering of believers in a local congregation and then those various congregation comprising a work of god that is called the church. And Paul saw this in a very clear way because he recognized it as a stewardship that God had uh, given over to him to be responsible for this particular message that Jewish believers and Gentile believers would be a part of the same church, the ecclesia in the Greek language, the called out ones, the assembly of God's people. And uh, that was a special stewardship. It was a special mystery because it was totally uh, different than the nation of Israel that the Jewish people had been uh, 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 had been the the under their covenant under that covenant that God has established for so long that uh, that this needed to be kind of shook up a little in order to get to the the revelation of or the the mystery of the church the stewardship of the church and so Paul was the one that was given that particular uh, chore that responsibility that message it wasn't exclusively to Paul other people talked about it, of course uh, John talked about it uh, Peter talked about it uh, other authors talked about it but uh, Paul uh, had this particular responsibility himself. And he, and so that's another one of his revelations. But let's get back to this particular passage. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago. Now, this man is, is Paul. If you read through this entire uh, couple of paragraphs here, you get you get the clear picture. Paul is talking about himself, but he wants to distance himself from this experience. This is a different man, basically, in Paul's own mind. He he segments this out. He, he compartmentalizes this and says this was a different man, but it's it was still Paul. And and that's what he's getting at. He says, I know a man 14 years ago and and what happened to him? He says, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows. So uh, the man who experienced this, which happened to be Paul, uh, this 
there was no uh, clarity about whether or not he left his body behind or whether or not this was just a, a soulish experience or a, or a spiritual departure out of his physical body. He, he just was completely unaware whether or not it was he brought his body along or not. And I think that's fascinating. In fact, it's so fascinating that Paul repeats it again. He reprises this same uh, nomenclature or this same kind of a a descriptor in the very next verse. But he wants you to know that God knows he's not completely clear about the status of his physical body, whether or not it went with him. But God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Now, what's interesting is that uh, there were lots of experiences in Paul's early Christian life that we basically don't know anything about because we've not been given any record about it. Uh, the book of Luke wasn't really written as a, a uh, biography of Peter and Paul, and so it doesn't include uh, many things about those early years. We know that once Paul encountered Christ. He went to Damascus. And then in Galatians chapter 1, it says that that uh, it was three years later that he went up to Jerusalem. So that meant he did some traveling. He he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia eventually, but uh, somewhere he, he spent those three years. And, and uh, in one place, uh, it seems as though that he spent this time in Arabia, uh, or at least some sections of that, uh, before he ever got back to, to Damascus and then on to Jerusalem. And then once he got to Jerusalem, he was only there for a short time before the brethren and the Lord himself told him, you need to leave the city. And so they escorted him to Caesarea and put him on a ship back to his hometown of Tarsus. And Paul was back in Tarsus uh, at at least about five years or so back there. So there's about eight years that we know nothing about Paul's private spiritual growth or his walk with the Lord Jesus or his ministry to others in the synagogues or in other places. He evidently had a ministry and evidently he had some sort of uh, impact in those various circles, but uh, we, we just don't have it recorded. And so it may have been somewhere during those moments or during those times in which he received this particular vision. It says he, he got caught up to the third heaven. That word caught up is uh, arpazo, is the uh, Greek word exactly, but it's been translated in the Latin as raptura, and that's where some people get the idea or the doctrine about the rapture. So uh, the rapture itself is not an unbiblical doctrine. They're just using a different translation than we're used to. That's all. And so, uh, but the Greek word is a different kind of a Greek word. It literally means to be snatched away. It's used uh, uh, in of Philip, remember Philip in in uh, and his experience after he got done witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, he was snatched up and he got took away by the Spirit of God. There was some sort of transportation mechanism there that the Spirit of God was responsible for. Uh, uh, Philip didn't have to buy a ticket or or lease a donkey or anything else. The, the Spirit of God transported him from this, this uh, uh, 
this route or this caravan route that the, the Ethiopian eunuch was taken and, and took him all the way to a place called Ezotas. And, uh, and then he later ended up in Joppa. By the way, Philip was in Joppa long enough to uh, uh, get married and raise a family of daughters. And, and, uh, and he never again, at least we don't have the record of, of Philip ever again having this trans- supernatural transportation thing going on in his life. It happened once and that was enough. And evidently it wasn't repeated uh, for those of you who care about those sorts of things. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, when the Lord will give a shout, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with those in Christ who have been resurrected from the graves. And so when we are caught up together, that's this word. We will be snatched off the earth. And that's this same term. It appears one more time in the book of Revelation chapter 12, where it talks about the child and it's a capital C. And I believe it's talking about the Messiah, Jesus, the child of Israel. And, um, and he is caught up. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He was caught up uh, away from the apostles and uh, caught up uh, in his ascension. And so he is currently in the abode where God is. And this third heaven, and it's also called in verse 3, uh, or verse 4, it's called paradise. It's the same term for the same location. That's where God is. Now, there's lots of different theories, but uh, you really need to kind of abide by what the scriptures talk about and what they refer to. The first heaven traditionally is always about this particular atmosphere, the oxygen, the air, the atmosphere around the earth in which we live and breathe and have our weather and all all that sort of thing. That is one level of heaven. That's called heaven. And then the space above that, the space we call space. <laughs> in our terminology, that space is also called heaven. That traditionally has, has been called the second heaven. The third heaven is that place where God resides and that uh, that is his abode. We don't really know that much about heaven except for the fact of the throne and the throne room and the various creatures and human beings that are there around the throne room of God, of, of God in that location. But we really don't know that much more. And Paul goes on to say, when he was caught up there he, he, and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. So Paul had this experience but he couldn't talk about it. And he couldn't describe the words that were being spoken to him. He was not permitted to say those things. I think that's entirely fascinating that the major part of this experience, he couldn't talk about. He just now, 14 years later, brings it out of the secret and into the open and says, this is what happened to me. He says, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on be, on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. That's what he spent the last half of chapter 11 talking about, is his weaknesses. He's going to be talking about his weakness in verses 7 through 11, coming up in the next paragraph and the next episode. But right now, that's what he's satisfied with. He's not bragging about his experience. He's just telling you it happened. He says, for if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish. 
therefore I will be speaking the truth. So this isn't foolishness. It's just the truth. It's a truth that I chose not to talk about until just now. And that's what he says. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's authority didn't rest in whether even the validity of this story was true. Even though he validates it as being true, it really didn't matter. Paul wants to be accredited because of his ministry, not because of his experience, even though it was a supernatural experience. His real ministry is what you hear him speak and what you see in his life, that's his ministry, that's his authority, that's his influence, not these grandiose exaggerations that the others were making about their ministries and their personalities and their status. Paul was satisfied with just telling the truth. Father, thank you for these words today. Thank you that You have made these things clear to us in this very special circumstance where Paul outlines these things we would never know otherwise. Encourage us, Father, by your words in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.